0: Okay, so we move on, and now I want to talk for a moment about how God speaks individually to different people according to things like your um, your temperament, according to your way of dealing, of working, of interacting with Holy Spirit. So let's have a look at the next slide, and we'll... We'll um, come back to this one-word thing at the end. Um, I I think many of you are familiar with this text. It's in uh, Revelation, um, in uh, chapter 4, and it talks about the throne of God. And it says, and as uh, John looked, he says, In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like a human face, had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And, of course, this is not the first time these four faces are seen. But ba- way back in Ezekiel, chapter 1, we see the, um, the, the chariot of God. In this case, it's the throne, a static uh, object. In Ezekiel, it was when God descended, God came into the, the sphere of this earth, and um, uh, he did so on a chariot, which of course was a flying saucer, you know. You know? Anyway, um, and uh, there were wheels within wheels, and, and fire coming out of the wheels, and all of that, so that's why the guy thought it was a flying saucer. But um, the, uh, the same four faces are seen It's a a slightly different use of language in Ezekiel's case, but the same four creatures and their faces um, are seen in that situation. So two things, one in which they support and surround the throne of God, the other one in which they carry the presence of God into the human realm. And um, so I've been thinking a lot about these these four creatures and uh, uh, speaking about them in the context of leadership quite a lot over the last while. Um, so, let's think about those, those four creatures and their characteristics. Um, in church history, uh, early church fathers have actually uh, used these four creatures to talk about the four gospel writers. And uh, they say, um, for instance, that, um, that Mark's gospel... So we can go to the next slide and we can see the, this. And I, again, we're pressed for time, so I'm not going to analyze these deeply. I will tell you about some websites that you can go on to help you find your, your corner of this particular window. Um, so my understanding, and I, uh, I, the different church fathers had different ways uh, or different um, arrangements of the four gospel writers... This is the one that I am most familiar with or comfortable with, which is that I s- say that um, Mark is the gospel of the lion. Why? Because the lion is the, is the animal that uh, is territorial and that uh, seeks to uh, protect, defend, and advance his um, territory. Uh, he's, the, he's the king. He's the, he's the action, man, action man, if you like, of the jungle. And so, um, and uh, Mark's gospel is like that. It's it's called the the action gospel. It's the one that uses the word immediately more than any other word in uh, book in the Bible. Um, Mark talks about Jesus in action. He talks about signs and wonders, etc. We'll come back to those things later. Matthew is the is the detail gospel. Matthew is the guy who most often refers to the Old Testament. And so he says, this was done that it might fulfill this text in the Old Testament. And so he was always like looking for order and matching detail and uh, that kind of thing. Luke's gospel is the gospel with the human face. Luke is the, ge- the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. Um, he is a, uh, a medical doctor. He is the one who spends the most time on... Listening to Mary's story, for example, and he speaks more about the women than any other gospel in the Bible, uh, any other book. Once again, in the in the New Testament, he um, he he's the one who refers most often to the children. He's the one who uh, speaks in detail about uh, things like medical conditions, and once again, we can understand all of that. Uh, but he shows a lot of compassion for Gentiles for. Women for children for the for the the um, uh, marginalized uh, in his in his book um, and and Luke is the also the one who puts things in chronological order. He said, "I've made an orderly account." Um, so if you want to know in what order things happened in Jesus' life, Luke's the guy to go to. John is the gospel of the eagle. He's the one who. Uh, looks for the deeper meaning. He's the one who is always um, using symbolism, um, and so as we saw last night, he talks about the water and the blood. He talks about um, being born of water and of the Spirit. Uh, he, um, he 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 uh, um, once again is like uh, using using revelation. He's, he's most he's the most given to revelation as part of not only the gospel, the gospel message and the history, but it, or the story, but, it, but in fact, what does it mean? What does this mean? And again, he says, he said this speaking about the spirit whom he was going to pour out on those that believed, and so on. So he was always matching symbol to reality. Um, they say of the eagle, the eagle of, uh, uh, is the, the, the um, animal the bird that is able to see the longest distance. It's able to even look into the sun and not be blinded. Uh, it can fly higher than it, in any of its enemies and it looks down and can see the minutest detail. So, uh, thinking more about these, I see Mark as the realist. Matthew as the rationalist. Luke as the uh, people guy. Uh, sorry, as the artisan and, um, and John as the artist. Mark is the gospel of results. Matthew is the gospel of details. Luke is the gospel of people. Uh, John is the gospel of symbols. Uh, to use an, four W's, Mark is the gospel of the wonders of God. Matthew, the word of God. Luke, the works of God. And John, the worship of God. Mark is the catalyst. Matthew, the analyst, Luke, the therapist, and John the idealist um, for mark uh, he he matches people in leadership who are strategic thinkers they 're thinking in terms of reaching the goal, reaching the objectives, and their their question is by when that 's their big question when it comes to. Um, making business decisions or leadership decisions. Uh, Matthew matches a different kind of leader, the person who is, uh, once again, the, the analytical person, who's the student, who, who um, uh, always answers the question, how? Uh, for him or her, the, the, answer, the, 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 strategy, the strategy is not as important as the um, implementation. Uh, thirdly, Luke is the server kind of leader. And, um, and so his, his um, orientation is toward the people. He's the people guy. He's the, he's the person who's always asking the question, who? And how are the people feeling? And how's everybody doing while we go toward the subjective? And then John is the, um, is the guy for whom uh, the experience is everything. And so, uh, uh, are we having fun, is the main question. Uh, we don't really mind too much about the outcomes. We want to know, is there encounter with God happening? Is, it, is there experience? Is, uh, what, for, for him or her, the question is, what? What's happening? And as long as something is happening, that person is happy. doesn't matter what effect it has. So again, these are obviously generalizations, but as you think about yourself, as you think about yourself in terms of engaging in church, for instance, and experiencing or being aware of the, of the Lord being up to stuff, which of those questions is, comes most naturally to you? Is it the by when? Is it how? Is it who? Or is it what? what 's happening um, when I read the minutes of uh, the leadership team of this church, uh, I find if I can uh, make this observation, I find that um, uh, Serepta has a culture which is for, for, uh, which kind of focuses and and maximizes encounter with God as the most Significant reason for us gathering. And, um, and so the, the, uh, the descriptions of what happened on a Sunday have more to do with um, did we encounter God? Was it fun? Um, and of course there's content as well. But it's, it's like as long as there was encounter, as long as Jesus showed up to church and we experienced that, uh, we're happy. Do you think that kind of sums it up? Now, of course, some people might be a little unhappy with that. They might be going, well, hold on, we need more results, or we need more strategy, or we need more content. You know, we we need to be more uh, content-based and that kind of thing. Um, On the other hand, I have also heard that there are some who think that Alan is way too intellectual for them. But we won't go there. Now, you'll see that I've got these other little uh, um, boxes, SJ, NT, NF, and SP. And those are not Catholic orders, although they do correspond somewhat to the Catholic orders. But um, these are what were called uh, Myers-Briggs temperament categories. So if you would like to get a picture of which of those boxes you fit in, you can go online to Myers-Briggs Temperament Analysis, B- M-B-T-A or M-B-T-I, Myers-Briggs, M-Y-E-R-S hyphen Briggs, B-R-I-G-G-S. And um, <clears throat> you, you can do an online questionnaire. It doesn't take very long. You can do an online questionnaire and almost instantly they'll send you uh, the results for you and it's just a, a, a very neat kind of way of measure, measuring what is your natural place temperament wise. Are you for example an introvert or an extrovert? Are you a person who lives by your thoughts or by your senses? Are you a person who uh, interacts with the environment on the basis of um, uh, analysis, judgment or um, uh, thinking through? Um, So, out of that you'll get, they'll explain it all for you, you'll get this, this is the short form of it, an SJ, an NT, an NF, or an SP. And those have to do with your, um, again, ways of interacting with a group, it has, has to do with your ways of acquiring information, it has to do with your place of how you fit comfortably into an environment, and also how you make decisions. So, have a look at that, just for a little bit of fun. Um, The SJ is the uh, Sensing Judge. The NT is the the, 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 uh, Intuitive Thinker. The, the, the N is actually an I, it's, uh, but the, because they used I in another place, they didn't use it again here. So it's intuitive thinker. The intuitive feeler, the person who operates by their emotions, by compassion, etc. And then the sensing perceiver is the SP. So he's not he or she is not a judge, but a perceiver. They experience, once again, on the basis of perception. So... Um, I'll give you a little bit more about those in a moment. But before we go there, uh, this next slide is um, is something that links this once again to leadership and to the church. But I think that as you think about it, it might help you to understand your own passions, your own spiritual passions, particularly. So it goes like this. Go back one. Go back one. There you go. Uh, the, the lion has to do, his, his or her passion is for conversion uh, of the world. The, um, the, uh, the, 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 the ox has to do with truth. The third one has to do, Luke, has to do with care. And the th- fourth one, the eagle, has to do with encounter. Uh, Mark is all about growth. Matthew is about stability. Luke is about health. John is about enjoyment. Uh, Mark is about expansion. Matthew is about enabling. Luke is about encouraging. John is about experience. When it comes to God, Mark wants to expand the fame of God. Uh, um, Matthew wants the order of God. Luke wants to see the love of God expressed. And John wants to see the power of God. So, once again, at a very superficial level, which of those flicks your switches most? And there are no wrong answers, okay? All of them are important. That's why God gave us four Gospels who are very different in their orientation. And that's why we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the image of Christ among the church. That's why you have to get in your lane and stay in your lane and operate according to your gifting and not try to be someone else. That's why the particular insights that you have about Jesus, only you have those particular unique insights. And if you don't bring them, you're robbing the church. Okay? Don't rob the church. Bring the things that you're hearing from God because He needs you. He needs your particular loading. He needs your particular insights, your particular uh, ways of expressing it. You know, the whole Bible is the Word of God. Did you know that? The whole Bible is the Word of God. And um, every book of the Bible, or most books of the Bible, because some were written, several books were written by the same author, uh, or penned by the same author, they're all from God, but they're via a human instrument and the hebrew for example that amos uses is very different to the hebrew that isaiah uses amos was a farmer isaiah was a priest very different levels of education very different vocabularies and god is very happy to have amos in his amongst these guys who wrote the book at, alongside isaiah he didn't go well let's get the best authors Only to write the book. He wanted people to express it through their particular personalities and temperaments and styles and culture and all of those wonderful things. Because otherwise we, again, we only see a part of God. So God wants to speak. He wants to display himself through all the saints. It is only together with all the saints that we are able to comprehend the length and depth and breadth and height and to know the love of god that's why we need to know how to hear god and we also need to be brave and courageous to deliver what we hear pass it on your job is not to think about oh what's going to happen if your job is just to deliver the package and let leave the leave the church to assess and to and to implement as leadership feels the need. Uh, l- let me just give you a little bit more about these four temperaments uh, quickly before we move on. So what these mean. The lion, moving to the next slide, the lion is, or the SJ, is a blend of innovation, action, and change. They are known for being focused and dependable. They will deliver. They will not overpromise and under-deliver. They will deliver. With some tendency to perfectionism or performance orientation, these are the eight type personalities. These are the these are the drivers. To use a different um, set of criteria, they are results orientated, judging themselves and others accordingly. So, I'm not interested in how you felt. I'm interested in did you do the job? Bottom line, give me the bottom line. By when? And again, we need those kinds of people in the church. They, they will very often be the apostolic type of, of leader. They will be the ones who provide breakthrough. They will, the evangelists are also in here. I've, I've hung out with some evangelists in my time, and it actually can get quite uncomfortable because they... You know evangelists are like what Winston Churchill, how Winston Churchill described fanatics... A man who won't change his mind and can't change the subject. Can't change his mind and won't change the subject, rather. And so, like, it doesn't matter if you just like wanting to have a cup of coffee and relax. You know, they're witnessing to the waiter. They're, they're looking for someone in the back room. There's this guy, Brian Blount. I think he's coming to Durban this time uh, um, when he comes back to the country. And he's, he's like this. He's, uh, he's, a, he's into power evangelism, taking it to the streets. And it's just like exhausting to hang out with him you You don't just sit and have a meal and talk about how how's your wife and the, how the kids and what's happening. He's like going, "Can we go to the kitchen I, I just feel like God's got a word for someone in the kitchen. Let the kitchen <laughs> yeah, yeah, and by the end of the thing, like the whole kitchen is singing worship songs and. And one person has had their leg lengthened and another person has their, their back been healed and uh, four of the waiters are speaking in tongues and forgetting to take their orders out. Evangelists don't care. They're disruptive. Yeah. We need them. We need them. They must kick over some stuff. We get way too comfortable until we have those kind of guys in the room. Guys and gals. Okay let's have a look at the eagle the SP it is flexible playful and insightful open to constant excitement and innovation once again the happening must happen and it must never be boring uh god is always saying outlandish things you know that's like they nothing is what it is for for the for the SP that it it's not like Look at Alan's. Look at the uh, sandals he's wearing. It's like I'm just having a sense of the Holy Spirit is talking to me about those sandals and about and about the way they display your toes. And it's not good. <laughs> they are future oriented. They're dreamers. They're they're always living in the future. You know, like I said, did I say it here last night, the thing about neurotics build sandcastles in the air, psychotics live in them, and psychiatrists collect the rent. And uh, God had quite a few of those kind of people who lived in the sandcastles in the air, in the book. Have you read some of those guys? Um, They're weird. These are weird people. They're they're, uh, entertaining, spontaneous They will respond to any crisis with warmth and humor. The orientation is toward experience, but don't ask them to organize anything. Don't give them the job. They'll come to you and they'll say, I've just got this dream about blah, blah, blah. blah." So you don't say to that person, okay, go and organize it and come back to us. You say, how can we help you? (laughs) That's how you implement that word. But... um, but they are remarkable in terms of seeing potential in almost everything. Moving on, the ox, that is the NT, the intuitive thinker, is motivated to understand and through understanding to control his or her environment. She or he responds to ideas and information and will bring security to groups by bringing conceptual clarity. They can often be dry and insensitive to the feelings of others. These are the engineers of the kingdom of God. You know engineers? Can I tell a story? It's a little bit, it's a little bit um, raw. But I, I heard about the, some guys playing a round of golf. And uh, so they were playing and there was a four ball in front of them and the four ball was very slow, taking a lot of time, like 20 minutes a hole, you know, half an hour a hole. And uh, so these guys called the marshal over, and they said, "Man, uh, can you please ask the guys in front of us to speed up because the course is very full and we can't uh, play through?" But um, you know, they, they really are very. He said, "Let me tell you about these guys." He says, "These four guys are firemen. Uh, they're actually retired firemen now, but they were firemen and." A few years ago, we had a fire in our clubhouse and uh, and it was uh, it, bur- it burnt the whole clubhouse down. but in the middle of the uh, of the clubhouse were all our memorabilia you know trophies and things that had been signed by Ernie else and Gary Player and all of that and photographs and etc and these guys braved the fire they went in there and they saved our memorabilia and so and and uh, so they, we, we gave them life membership for free. They can play any time they want. And he said, but the thing is that it affected their eyesight, all four of them, this fire. And so they, they um, challenged it as far as their eyesight is concerned. So that's why they play slowly. So the one guy said, well, listen, I'm a, an ophthalmologist, so I'll give a free consultation to these guys and see how we can help them with their their uh, eyesight. The second guy said, I'm an insurance broker. And he said, I'm, I will look at how they can get the best compensation for this thing that has befallen them. So have them make an appointment with me as well. The third guy said, Um, listen uh, I'm very connected with the society for the blind and he said and uh, I'll make sure that they get all the support the support group and uh, you know maybe seeing eye dogs and all of those kinds of things that we can do for them the fourth guy said listen I'm an engineer and I just have one question why can these guys not play at night So that's the uh, that's the NT, shall we say, challenged when it comes to EQ, emotional intelligence, and we do need them. <laughs> we do we do need that. we do need them. We, we need them, and then we get the, the, the human face, the N F, who is the people person. Uh, warm and engaging with a focus on harmony in the system. They are the peacemakers. They are the ones who want everybody to be okay with everybody. They are usually articulate and see the issue behind the issue. So they become counselors, for example. Uh, they can tend to peace at any price. If they're also introverted, they will tend to mysticism. If they're extroverted, they are the caring, loving, pastor, caregivers, deluxe. They are the ones who should be running the home groups and doing the counselling and uh, caring for people, and caring and running the mercy ministry and that sort of stuff. Do you think? Do you th- see yourself in there anywhere? And it's okay to be where you are. Okay, even the engineer. So let's have a look at how these fit into the sphere of spirituality. I've got a great book called Spirituality and the Temperaments um, that I've derived a lot of this from, as well as my own observations. Um, And so let's have a look at them with regard to how they approach the Bible, how they approach prayer, and how they approach ministry. Um, uh, Very simply, the SP is the person who looks for the deeper meaning behind what they read in the Bible. So they will read the information, but they'll always be asking, but Lord, what's the rhema word that comes out of this? What's the deeper meaning behind it? Uh, they contend to, um, uh, you know, being metaphorical with everything that they read in the book. Uh, and, and, yeah, the, their, their prayer lives will also reflect that, in that they will pray revelatory prayers. Uh, they will pray the implications that they get from a reading of the Bible into, um, into the people that they're praying for, or things that they're praying about. And, and they, they will most often be involved in the prophetic ministry uh, in a church or in their personal interactions with others. Um, the SJ is the pattern person. They, they are creating structure as they go. And so when they read the Bible, they will want to put this book together with whatever else in the, in the form, not of detail like the Matthew guy, but the, but the um, outworkings, the patterns and the implications. Their prayer life is what I call spirituality on the run. Um, by the way, the, the Jesuits were founded by a guy called Ignatius Loyola, who was a merchant and a businessman and a, and a soldier. Uh, he had been a soldier and then a merchant in his life. And, um, and he developed a form of spirituality which does involve somewhat retreat and contemplative uh, spirituality, but he was a genius in terms of, of designing spirituality for the busy person. Um, and so he had what is called an open door retreat, where basically you come in, you take some time, and you get out. Uh, uh, he used this form that I use daily of what is called the Examen or the Examined prayer, uh, which is like five little things that you do in the middle of the day and then at the end of your day. And uh, so they are not the kind of people who lock themselves in a room for four hours on the trot like some people who I'm very envious of who have that kind of uh, predisposition. So once again, your your prayers and the way you pray should be uh, something that fits with who you are. I've, I've wasted a lot of my time in my uh, Christian life reading books about, you know, like Watchman Nee and Reese Howells and all of those things and reading them and then trying to force myself into that style and then finding, mm, like I I often say to people, I have fallen asleep in every single physical position you can name. I've fallen asleep on my knees. I've fallen asleep standing. I've fallen asleep walking. I've fallen asleep lying down, lying, you know, prostrate, prostrate. Gotta get that word right. Prostrate before the Lord. Uh, because I read that, that somewhere, that that's how you really get full of the spirit is you you breathe dust, you lie on the floor, and I fell asleep. I'd just woken up but I fell asleep again. Anybody? Happened to you? So so I I found then I found Ignatius. Hallelujah, I found Ignatius. In the, back in the 80s. And I, I discovered this is what works for me. This is what fits my temperament, my um, predisposition to sleeping if I'm inactive. Uh, the fact that God speaks much more to me in, when, I'm, when I'm active than by being passive and quiet. That's okay. It's okay. Not everybody is a contemplative. Not everybody is supposed to be a contemplative. Uh, Ignatius uh, designed this kind of spirituality he called finding God in the everyday, finding God in the ordinary things. So, seeing God in the smile of a child, seeing God in the interaction that you have with a person, seeing God uh, in objects that you come across through your day, um, and hearing Him through them. Uh, their, their, uh, the direction of ministry, uh, or so, rather, their style of ministry is directional, once again, toward outcomes. The NT approaches the Bible to understand it, and they feel like when they've understood it, that's enough. This thing is still rattling like thunder, rolling like thunder. Um, Their prayers, it's very important to them that their prayers are biblically correct. Uh, and, and ministry has to do with teaching, giving information, conceptual. When it comes to the NF, as we said earlier, they are, if they're an introvert, they will be a mystic. And if they're uh, rather they will approach the Bible from a mystical point of view, uh, once again, uh, hidden things. And if they're um, an extrovert, it will be activist. They will be an activist. They will be the kind of person who will say, what must I do with this as they read it? Prayer will be either contemplative or intercessory, depending on, once again, introverted or extroverted. And ministry, they will be involved in the areas of compassion ministry. They're very incarnational. In other words, they don't, they don't organize for someone else to do it. They want to be there among the people um, expressing God's love. Okay, so having, having set that background and, and I hope giving you just the, the beginnings of a self-awareness that will help you to let your spirituality function, let your hearing of God function according to the way you are wired. God made no mistakes in wiring you up the way he did. He likes it. He is very happy for you to be who you are. Like somebody else said, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. So, um, really, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to God that you be the person He designed you to be. That you live that out in the best possible way. So, I want to uh, I want to finish with just uh, some thinking about how God speaks overall and this is looking at a biblical overview of the question of how God speaks to us. So the first uh, set of uh, factors or things that God uses to speak to us is a, uh, objective factors. That means things that that don't only exist in here, but they exist out there and I can interact with an objective reality. And of course, the most important of those is the Bible itself. Um, Psalm 119, verse 128, And because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And then, of course, Isaiah eight verse twenty, that says, "To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light in them." Um, so, the um, the word itself must always be the final arbiter of whether whatever other revelation uh, we get. Okay, let's let's just kind of put that there as a foundation. God's word is the strong, firm foundation for everything else. Anything that Anyone brings and says, the Lord said, and it is introducing uh, doctrine or revelation that is contradictory to the word of God. Uh, We don't even need to consider it. If they do not speak according to this testimony, there is no light in them. We we disregard that. So there is no angel Moroni. I think they gave one vowel too many when they described that guy. The eye, the eye should have been left off. The angel Moron, who, who was the guy who, uh, allegedly inspired the book of Mormon. Mormon. Um, just as an example. Okay. So the second is circumstances. Now this is a little bit of an uh, an, an, an overlap between two things, but I'm going to speak about circumstances and the ordinary that, uh, that Ignatius spoke about. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 7, there's this interesting text that says, Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. There is a point at which God will trust you to deal according to the, the character he has built in you and the spirit who abides in you and your trustworthiness with doing stuff. What is important to know is that um, uh, these would, this was not just a case of uh, Saul. This was a word from Samuel to Saul. And Saul, it wasn't just a case of Saul, do whatever you want to do. God is with you. It was when these signs are fulfilled, they will bring about a change in you. And it, actually the verse immediately before this one says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will be changed into a different person. Then, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, because God is with you. So here's the deal. God trusts you, but he does not trust you apart from his spirit. Okay? So it's when the spirit of the Lord is upon you that you become a different person, and you will operate according to his agenda, according to his um, nature, according to... Uh, the, the, the reflection and the glorification of Jesus, not, not your own stuff. But nevertheless, in that moment, you need to be alert to the fact that God doesn't only speak through prophets, He sometimes speaks through things. He speaks through donkeys. He speaks through stop signs on the road. I was once, um, when we planted our first church, it was in a it's a place called Honeydew in Johannesburg, which has now become, uh, I think there are 14 extensions of a thing called Vtefrieden Park in uh, the northwestern suburbs of Johannesburg. And, uh, but then, at that time it was called Honeydew, and it was small holdings, and they were laying out the street, the, the streets, for the impending development that was going to be happening called Veltefrieden Park. So there were these streets and with markings and gutters and street signs and all of this kind of thing. And we had a beat up little foxie, and I used to go out to visit the flock, you know, um, uh, on very, uh, the nights of the week. And so I'd be driving and, you know, it was one of those old forksies that had very miserable little lights. So you're driving along. And uh, and then there were these stop signs. Because they've most laid out the roads. Because they most are going to be building these houses. And there are going to be people. And so there are stop signs to control the traffic. And I was driving along and I was stopping at all the stop signs. And like, uh, then I thought, that's stupid. I don't need to stop at these stop. There's no traffic now. This is the middle of the night. I'm just going to drive. So I'm driving. And as I came to the next stop sign. The Lord spoke to me so clearly and he said, do you know that in my book it says, subject yourself to every human institution for the Lord's sake. I said, you've got to be kidding. You mean, you mean, this stop sign I, can, I need to submit to this stop sign for your sake. He says, try it. He said that to me. He said, try it. And I stopped my car at the next stop sign. And the presence of God filled that little beetle to the measure where I was like wasted. I couldn't drive. God met me in that situation. And he said, you see, there's something more going on than is going on. He said, I didn't, I didn't say submit for the municipality's sake. Submit because, there's no tra- because the traffic cop is watching you. Submit for my sake. And he says, and when you do it for my sake, I get to honor you. I get to honor you because you're doing it as an act of worship. And the, and the response to the act of worship is in my presence. I'm enthroned on the praises of Israel. I, said, I shared that story in church one time, and I had a couple of guys who were so mad at me. They said, are you telling us that we've got to obey the speed limit because otherwise God will not be present in the car? I said, no, I'm not saying that. Although I have found that if you go too far over the speed limit, Jesus does get out of the car, and then you're on your own. In fact, if you go even further over the speed limit, the devil gets out too because he's scared. (laughs) Okay, the third one is counsel or conversation. So I think you're aware of all of these. Let us uh, haste our way through them. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Uh, The way of a fool seems right to him. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 20 verse 18. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. So, here's the deal. And this is something that is alien to Western culture. And it is that God most often will speak in community. He speaks in the, council, in the multitude of counselors. He speaks among he speaks to us by, by wise heads. Very often, that's the most important uh, resource that we have. And so, as I said last night about those of us with uh, the snow on the top of Mount Hermon. Is it mine? No, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not. Uh, sorry, let, let me put it on silent. No. There we go. Thank you. Sorry about that. I should have actually had that in my pocket because it will earn me the steps, you know. Because I do take some steps. I'm robbing myself here. Yeah. Um, So, very quickly to say, um, holy conversations are an important way in which we will hear God. And we need to, uh, 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 importantly, uh, even when we have heard the Lord personally, like through a word that we get. By the way, what I didn't say about the Bible is this. Um, I think that God speaks more through the Bible by doing this, by making a verse come alive. You know that thing when it kind of comes off the page at you. Um, that's the difference between the Greek words graphia, graphia, which is the written word, and rema, which is the revealed word or the spoken word. That's when Jesus is speaking to you, and he'll use the ones that are on the page, the words that are on the page. But he'll say, "Now hear this. This is your. This is yours for today." I. I often I I pray that before every time that I read the Scriptures. I say, Lord, please, will you speak personally to me? So that this is not a history lesson, this is not a recounting of an old story, but that this is your word to me for now. Or in this, I will find God, your word for me now. Um, But even when you've got one of those, especially if it's directional for you, don't just run off. Submit yourselves to those who are trusted friends, advisors. engage in holy conversation about big things, especially change that you want to make in your life um, before you do so. And then uh, allied to this is prophecy and other spiritual gifts. First, Corinthians chapter 14, verse three, that says that uh, prophecy. Uh, everyone who prophesies speaks to men, to people, for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, of course, there's much more that we can say about prophecy. There is directional prophecy. There is strategic level prophetic uh, insight. There is uh, the prophecy that is, that is um, for the congregation, and there's one-on-one prophecy. I was speaking to Milane about it yesterday, the 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 text where Paul says, you may all prophesy one by one. Now, he doesn't mean everybody in the church can get up here and give a popcorn prophecy. What he means is, you can all prophesy one to one another, to one another, one by one. And I think that that's one of the most powerful ways in which God is both affirming us and directing us. Um, And this is something that probably a lot of the church has um, engaged with over the last 20 years, um, which is freeing people up to bring words of knowledge and prophetic instruction or prophetic direction to one another. Um, So I would encourage that in every church. I think that uh, uh, we, we can't Get enough of it. But once again, you have to learn how to receive words like that as much as you need to learn how to give them. And here are the two things. Disclaimer language by the giver and the right of refusal of the receiver. You know what I mean by that? When you come to someone and you've got a prophetic word for them, don't do the, thus saith the Lord. Especially not up front. Don't, 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 Don't do that. Go like this. I have a sense that the Lord wants to say this. And you can weigh this. Test it. Take it to others. Especially if it's a very weighty word. Let them take it to others. Let them test. Um, And uh, we we had another one of those this year at our conference. Last year at our conference. uh, A guy who had come from another place. And was going around the conference saying to single young women, God told me that you are going to be my wife. And they told me about it afterwards. If they told me about it during, I would have given him the right hand of disfellowship. I would have given him the fivefold ministry and told him, you leave our girls alone, you dirty old man. He was an old man. Well, he was, yeah. Um, so, so when you receive prophecy, you need to have the right of refusal, which is to say, when someone brings it to you, you say you, you say thank you, and if it's if it doesn't resonate with what God has already been saying to you, prophecy at best is a confirming word. It confirms other ways in which God is speaking to you. If it doesn't resonate, if it jars, if it, if it hurts, and I don't mean hurt in a good way. You know, there's hurt in a good way and there's hurt in a bad way. But if it's hurt in the form of it's undermining your dignity, it's, um, it's, uh, it's insulting your, your identity, then you have the right to say, thank you, but I don't think that's actually for me. Thank you. Bye. Just say that. And um, Or you can do another thing. You can say, you know, that is a, a little bit of a shock, that word. Would you mind coming and saying it again together with one of my elders, one of my leaders? I would really like someone to test this word with me. Okay, so don't just swallow it. Don't be gullible. Don't be gullible. There's a lot of, there are a lot of charlatans out there. There are people who prey on people in churches. I I know that you protect your people here, but there are churches and there are environments in which you go where there are these guys whose main thing is that they want to manipulate someone else's life through so-called prophecy. Um, So we move on to the second category, which is subjective factors. And they are things that are happening inside a person, and there's no external way of measuring, except, of course, if they are contradictory to the word of God. But that being there, there's something more. So, uh, and, and I'm going to quickly uh, run through these. The first is a sound mind. God made your brain. And he, he's, he's okay with the fact that your brain is not as smart as Derek Morpheus. It's okay. Uh, Your brain is good enough. And so it's what uh, Uncle Willie Burton used to call sanctified common sense, brother. Sanctified common sense. That's what Paul means when he says uh, God has given us a sound mind. Luke chapter 1 verse 3, Luke speaks about his uh, writing of the gospel and he says, since uh, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's how Luke came to write his gospel. He wasn't woken up with a with a bright light in his bedroom that said, now write the following down. That happened to John. Remember? Jesus came and he was like in his prison cell and... and the, Jesus filled the room, and then he said, "Now write the things that I'm about to say to you." And blah blah blah. Luke, on the other hand, was this doctor, and he was sitting there, and he thought to himself, "Myself," he said, "I think I think I can do um, a, a very accurate historical description of what I've heard from all of these people." And he went and he ga- gathered his information from Mary and from Elizabeth and from all of the others, and he said, now tell me about that day. And he wrote it down like a good journalist. And then he came and he put it into an orderly, systematic exposition of the story of Jesus. That's the use of a mind to bring about God's word. So if God can do it to write his book, he can certainly do it to speak to you about your day or about the direction of your life. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And of course, Paul is talking about the written word in there as well. But beyond that, he's talking about the fact that in you resides the information that designed the universe. Are you excited about that? The God who made the world has come with all his gifts, with all his wisdom, with all his knowledge. There's an anointing that is in you that teaches you all things. And it very often will come through how you think. So, As I think about stuff, most of the time, these days, I go, okay, thank you, Lord. That's all right. And I can use that. And, of course, I'll talk about it with my wife, and I'll talk about it with a colleague, if need be. Secondly, dreams and visions. This is something, probably the most common thing that we find in the Bible about every uh, uh, prophetic book that was written. Um, It usually involved a dream, a vision, uh, prophetic um, statements that were made. Um, uh, Angels of the Lord that appear and tell people to write things down. Um, uh, Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10 then thirdly, impressions, convictions, or leadings. That's when you know in your knower. Um, and, and they can be uh, sometimes much less dramatic, but you will learn by use. This is one of those that when you act on one of those, the next time it's much easier to act on. And you become used to those kinds of things so that it can end up with... Um, you know how, like, when you receive words of knowledge. I receive words of knowledge in at least two or three different ways. One of them is I see these pictures. I see, like, a snapshot of an elbow or something. I didn't know at the time that it was an elbow, but I go, oh, what was that? And then, I, then the words start to come. That's an elbow, and it's got this and that and the other problem or whatever. So I will say, "Is somebody here got a right elbow that's got this and this and this issue? And then if they say yes then you know, okay, I heard right. The next time I see a picture, this time it's a knee, I go, oh, that's what happened there. This is what, so you have another go. And always with disclaimers, always going, um, just check me on this, but I have a sense that there's something wrong with your knee. Is that, am I right in saying that? And if the, if the person says yes, then you know you got it. If they say no, We all see through a glass darkly. Don't beat yourself up because you get some wrong. Because he who never made a mistake, never made anything. Okay? So, give yourself permission. Impressions, convictions, or leadings. Um, uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, he says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying this is the way, walk in it. Now that's a very interesting aspect of that text. It's while you're moving that very often the Lord speaks. If you stand waiting for the word before you move, you will very often be robbing yourself of the very thing you need. So move, move. It's much easier to steer a moving vehicle than a stationary one. Did you know Even with power steering, it's quite, it's quite difficult. In fact, apparently, if a boat is standing still, you can't turn the tiller at all. It's only when it's going that you can move the tiller. So we are like that. God steers us. He steers a a moving ship. He speaks while you're on the go. Um, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. uh, James sums this up. And this was also after a lot of conversation, holy conversation had happened. And then James says, uh, it seemed good. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything but the following. And so he said, he said, it seemed, it was a subjective thing. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. And then there are two other subjective ones. One is contemplation. So, When you contemplate whether it's a a text of scripture or whether it's a situation in front of you or when you're thinking about people and you contemplate and you ask God for his guidance on the thing, then once again, be open to the fact that in that contemplation will come inspiration and revelation. Um, And again, all the checks and balances need to be applied. And the And the final one in the subjective realm is compassion. This is the one that um, uh, once again will come sometimes uninvited and even unwanted. There's natural compassion. All of us have natural compassion for people we care about, people we love. Children, you know, the, the weak, the vulnerable. That's a natural thing. If you don't have that, you're not a human, you know. But above and beyond that come things like um, I, was, I was in a place of um, burnout. I had a burnout episode in 1994. And we went to, as part of a sabbatical and kind of recovery time, we went to California we arrived there just at the time that the Toronto team had arrived and, uh, and there was this renewal going on that most of us are familiar with the terms of. And um, so I was expecting I'm gonna take, it's going to take six weeks of rest and recuperation. The doctors had told me that's what it's going to take. And in 40 minutes, God did six weeks worth of work. And the way he did that was he slammed me over, dropped me to the floor, and then waves of, of power, heat, and emotion just washed through my body. And I, I wept about every mistake I'd made, every person I'd hurt, every situation I'd been uh, incapable of, you know, I didn't have capacity for. Uh, and... At the same time, I was actually saying to God, I want to, do, I want to do other kinds of ministry. I'm not going to do counseling anymore. I'm not going to go to those missions situations anymore. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm not going to do that. And as I was saying that, God started, first, the first thing that he did was he brought my family to mind. And he told me to give, give him, my, my kids, one at a time was a very, very, um, uh, it, it was traumatic, because God was saying to me, I can love your kids better than you can, of going, uh, no, I was amazed at how I reacted, anyway, it went on, it moved on from that to the people that needed counseling. In the church I was leading at the time. And I saw their faces. And as I saw their faces, I wept for them. And that was not me. I know that was not me. I was sick and tired of them. I wanted to boot them to a psychiatric ward. I was not interested. And God just broke my heart. And then He started to break my heart for the nations of Africa. And I saw one after another, and one after another. And I started to speak in tongues. And you know what I, what was happening as I was speaking in tongues? This is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, every word, every syllable that you're speaking now is another fish that's going to be caught, that's going to be brought into the kingdom of God, if you obey me now. And I, I wept. I'm weeping and I'm going, I don't want this, but I'm weeping. That's how you know that this is, this is the Lord and not you. It's not just like a natural flow of, oh yes, I'm putting up my hand for that. It's when God breaks your heart for people that you will be most effective in delivering something that is from the kingdom, from the age to come, into their present tense. And so, we come finally to the discretionary factor. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses is told to make this whole uniform for Aaron, the high priest. And he says, um, we won't go into all the details, but he said, I want you to make a breastplate, and on that breastplate will be 12 precious stones, and each of them represents one of the tribes of Israel. And then he said, you you have to fasten it to his shoulders with two stones, and they were called the Urim and the Thummim. And he says... Put the Urim and the Thummim in the breast piece uh, and, um, so that they may, may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Urim and Thummim. We still don't know to this day exactly how they worked. But by implication of the, the names of these two stones... It was like this, that Aaron would go and he would have a decision to make. And he would say, the Urim would be yes and the Thummim will be no. Which one of them lights up? And it seemed like there was a supernatural light that would come into one of those stones. And Aaron would come out and say, the Urim has it. The eyes have it. <laughs> the nays have it. And so he would, he would bring the decisions of the Lord to the people of Israel like that. Um, uh, Numbers 27, verse 21, it says, Joshua is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. Interesting little subplot in that uh, particular story in uh, when uh, Saul had become king and he fell into sin and he was looking for, to, to kill David, uh, it says that the Urim and the Thummim stopped operating. When Saul had the means of hearing from God about things that were against the interests of God, God stopped speaking. Uh, God is not into empowering someone to do something that's against His will. And so... It stopped when Saul sinned. And you'll remember that because the Urim had stopped uh, operating, uh, the, the Lord did not answer by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a medium. And you'll remember how it took Israel even worse into idolatry and sin as a result of, uh, of God no longer speaking. So is there a New Testament equivalent to the Urim and the Thummim. And I think we find it in Colossians 3, verse 15. And this is what I call the discretionary factor, as in when you've lined up everything objective that has come your way, everything subjective that has come your way, you still have a final thing to do. That is to say, Lord, if I make decision A, and I'm going to commit it to you, and I'm going to say, Lord, is this what you want of me? Is this what you want me to do? Colossians 3 verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts to which you were called in the one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ arbitrate. That is to say, let let the peace of Christ play the umpire role. You know, the umpire says, you go, how's that? And they say out or not out. The the peace of Christ does the same thing that the urim and the thummim used to do. Is this the right decision? This one would light up. Is this the right decision? This one would light up, light up. In everything that I've ever decided, in pretty much every ministry context, when God has said to me, "I want you to go and say this," "I want you to do that," "I want you to change this," "I want you to make this decision," Um, and I will go and I'll lay it before the Lord. And I'll say, let your peace confirm when I make this decision. Um, The Quakers used to talk about uh, laying the matter in the way of the peace of God, laying it in the way, kind of putting it down there and saying, peace of God, come and show us if this is right. And uh, they wouldn't act until that peace was established between the brothers in the in the leadership of uh, that particular church. I've made many decisions in keeping with uh, with that peace. When the peace comes, you know. It's a peace in the spirit, but it's also a peace between you as those who are trusted because it says in the one body. So this is also a communal peace. It's not only individual peace. The more people who are affected by your decision, the more people you need to take into the decision. Okay? So, um, if it's just about you, that's fine. If it's about you and your family, talk to the family. If it's about you and the home group, the church, uh, bring others in to the decision. And when it comes to a f- final thing, when it comes to a directional decision. Don't move until you have at least three beacons lining up. So don't operate on any one thing. That's why it says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So listen to things when they line up. When one confirms the other, confirms the other. Uh, then you can, you can go. And I'm, Again, I'm speaking about heavy and important directional decisions here. Um, the, the, um, the last thing I want to just uh, refer to is I started with this section about the Holy Spirit saying heaven on earth the means of heaven coming to earth is the Holy Spirit being poured out from heaven on the church and that's what linked for all time linked heaven to earth. And that is what links heaven to earth in every situation where you are responding to and dispensing, giving away gifts of the Spirit. So that comes with all of the um, implications of what the kingdom was all about. When Jesus began his ministry, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? Preach good news to the poor. Proclaim good news to the poor. Second of all, to uh, release the oppressed. Third of all, to open the prison doors to them that are bound. Fourth of all, to open the eyes of the blind. And Isaiah's rendering of it says, and to heal the brokenhearted. And then he says, and to proclaim the time or the year of the Lord's grace and favor. So all of those are slightly different in terms of their application. When you proclaim the gospel, you are calling people to repentance. When you uh, when you um, uh, release someone from oppression, you cast out a demon, and that's not that's not um, tidy work all the time. You know that's that's not what, that's not where you go, demon. If you would like, you know, I know that the grace of God is here, and if you would like, would you please like. You know, leave. That's when you take authority. That's when you deal on the basis of authority. If w- Once you have identified a demon, you have authority over it. Okay? So you don't, once again, you don't go, is there any demon in the house? Come, come here, come here, come here, I want to clap you. That's not how you work with demons. It's one-on-one, and it's on the basis that you've identified there is a demonic force operating here, And when you've got its name, you've got its game. The game's up. Revelation. It's not always necessarily a name. It's even just the fact that it's there. So, like I was in a, in that same thing in California when the renewal was happening. uh, Lorraine and I would go to like the different venues. There was a youth conference going on at the same time and Amazing things are happening among about 2,000 young people. So we go into this, into this hall, and, um, and there are people falling over, people laughing, and people uh, speaking in tongues and worshiping, and stuff is happening all around us. And as we're standing there, uh, uh, slightly behind me and to my right, a young, lady, young girl, a teenage girl, started screaming. And as soon as it happened, I knew this is demonic. And I turned and I said, no, stop it and come out of her. And she fell to the ground and, in fact, uh, a demon was expelled instantly in that situation. Um, So how do you know? I mean, everybody is like screaming, laughing, carrying on. So it's not from the phenomenon itself that you know. It's It's a moment, it's a word. A word from the Lord. It's a, so, once again, I think a lot more of those broadcasts are happening than we think. I think in every situation there is, God is trying to say to his people, hey, I want you to deliver this. I want you to speak to that. I want you to go and love on this person. I want you to give an encouraging word here. That's a demonic thing. Get rid of it. And, and so, it's happening all the time. And when each part is listening and doing its work the whole body makes bodily growth and builds itself up in love. When each part is doing its job and learning how to operate these instruments of peace we go out there and church continues. The mission of the church doesn't stop when we finish the meeting that's when it really is supposed to take when we're supposed to take it to the streets. And that's the revival. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. He's saying, learn this stuff. Get confident in this stuff. Stop disqualifying yourself and saying it's for others. Stop saying that God has passed me by. And go and do the things that God has given you both the grace and the experience to be able to do. That's how revival is going to sweep the world. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. So, which one, which one of the uh, means of speaking happens to you most often? Yeah, you can go back to that one. Yeah. Did anybody get any words for yourself? for your family, for your church, for the community. Let's let's finish with a bit of like waiting on the Lord. Let's stand. The Lord just said to me that the main reason why some of us do not hear is because we say we can't. It's not that he stopped speaking. It's that we think I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not uh, practiced enough. I've been disobedient too too many times. And so we say that's, or we say I'm too old. Or we say, you know, it's for the guys who are leading now. Um, And God says no to all of the above. He's basically saying I'm not through speaking to you. So listen up. Listen up again. So as we pray now, I want you to again make yourself available. Make your ears available. Do like Samuel, young Samuel, and say, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. And I, too, I may be a baby in Christ, or I may be a person that has seen so much that I feel like, It's over for me. And neither one of those things is true because God spoke to Samuel when he was a child and he spoke to him when he was an old man. And both times, the word was just as effective. And all the times in between. So now, Holy Spirit, I want to pray that you would come once again to open our eyes to see And open our ears to hear. And in the name of Jesus, I once again cancel every sentence that people have imposed on themselves of saying inadequate, disqualified, unable, no capacity. I'm done. I'm done with this thing. I'm done with that thing. I'm done with being made a fool of because I get it wrong. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would once again come and lift up, lift up, lift up. Put us back into the place of fruitfulness. Put us back into the place, like you say about the the branches that droop, that you say, I will lift them up and I will tie them in place and I will cause them to be strengthened and I will let the sap flow through, through them again And this is my Father's desire that you may bear much fruit. The fruit of listening and doing. The fruit that comes about in our own lives and in the lives of those we encounter. On your behalf, in your name. So right now, Lord, I pray, come, pour out your Spirit on us again. Let it come. Let it come in the name of Jesus receive God's affirmation receive the affirm- receive the seal receive the statement of adoption where he says you're my kid and I'm proud of you I love who you are I will receive everything that you bring me God says this is the environment of my kingdom is that for my kids there is no there's no answer that goes no The answer is, yes, you can. The answer is, yes, you may. The answer is, I will show you the treasures of my kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. The Lord says, you're one of them. You're one of them. I'll show you pearls. It'll take your breath away. Some of them have been long in the making, but that makes them all the more valuable. So let your presence come, Lord. Let your presence come. Speak. Speak. And as we bring our lives before you now, I want to pray individually. Speak. Speak to every person here about what concern, what concerns their, their, them concerns their hearts, come and speak. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be revealed and then let it be done. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. And if God gives you impressions or words and directs you to give them to someone else, I want you to just be free. Move across the room if you have to, but let's, um, let's be obedient. Maybe you have a word, uh, a word of knowledge and you want to come and call it out from the front and see if there's someone who responds to it. But let's just take a moment to deliver what we feel God may be saying. Some of it is for you, and if it's for you, take it and then commit yourself to act on it. Commit it to the Lord. If it's, um, if it's for someone else, deliver it. If it's a prophetic word for the whole group, feel free to deliver that as well. Come to the front if you want. And now, Lord, we lift our eyes to you and our hearts are full of gratitude. We lift our eyes to you. And that word, as I read it in your Psalms yesterday, that word has to do with expectancy. Our eyes are on you, Lord. Our eyes are on you. And you're on your throne whether we're in church or in a temple or in a cathedral or whether we're making our way through Muddy ditches. You're with us. And your, your desire is to manifest your presence in us and through us everywhere we go. The weapons of our warfare are the ramer of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. The word that you speak to us. And so, Lord, put sharp swords in our hands, in our mouths. Sharp swords, things that will actually cut through the nonsense that so often seems to swamp our lives. Make us those who cut a clear pathway to you through the words we use, through the tears we shed, through the prayers we pray, through the actions we take. Make us instruments of your shalom. We worship you. we're so glad, Lord, that you included us in your plans to take over, to change the world. You included us.
1: The Lord spoke to me and said, feed my sheep. Don't hold back. Don't think that Worry about what other people think of you. Don't worry about even the recipient of who you're going to speak to. But just obey God. Obey Mm. His prompting. Mm. Obey the Holy Spirit's prompting to speak. And as Costa said, Pray before and ask God for guidance and wisdom in that speaking.
2: Uh, Looking at the four pictures of the lion and the ox, the man and the eagle, and, and we were listening for a word, and I received a word, and the word was, impart anointings. It's a downpipe word. And I sense now there are just two or three people, maybe even four or five, to whom I am to impart an anointing just by laying on of hands. Now this is not for anybody who wants it. It is only for those who have heard the Holy Spirit say, this is for you. That's only a few.
0: And so come forward. Come forward. I think that's, a, that's a, an invitation. And we do believe that impartation happens through the laying on of hands. So come. I take comfort in the fact that the Lord is called the Ancient of Days. So there is no ageism in the kingdom. I have um, something that has to do with families. Where um, I sense that there may be two or three parents in the room. And in fact, grandparents in the room. Who have a feeling about some of your kids or grandchildren? And the feeling is, um, I don't know what else to say. It's like I don't know what to say anymore, and so you may have even given up. And I just had the the Lord say. In fact, it was a strange phrase I heard. It was the Lord said, "I'm going to clean up your mouth," and I don't know, what, <laughs> I don't know why He used that phrase, but what He meant. He kind of did explain. What he meant was, I'm going to give you relevance in the words you say to those young people. I'm going to make your words relevant to them. It may be a brand new experience, but um, God wants to give you relevance, and He wants you to not quit. And of course, um, sometimes we do need to stop talking and just pray, but there are also some times that we give up speaking too soon. I know I'm guilty of that. Sometimes because, in my case, they expect the pastor to speak to them. And so I don't want to do that on the basis that I'm a pastor. I want to do that because the Lord has given me something to say. And I think the same can be true of you, that you go, well, just because I'm a parent, or just because I'm the grandpa. And God is going, I'm going to give you relevant words. So if you would like that, you can also just stand for a moment and we'll pray. If that applies to you and your family situation. Again, Lord, that picture of the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God, comes to my mind. And I thank you for the fact that your resources are endless. You have ways of speaking that will cut, divide between bone and marrow. That will divide soul from spirit. That will cause the exposure, will bring about the exposure of a vulnerable soul to the love to the to the passion to the purposes of God by your word and so in the name of Jesus for every one of these whether it is for grandchild or for child i pray in jesus name lord that you would now deliver into these hearts and spirits maybe it's one word maybe it's one message Maybe it's a sentence. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's an invitation to tea. Whatever it may be, Lord, I pray for your wisdom now to be put into effect. That wisdom that is able to bring about change, growth, deliverance, a sense of purpose. The the lifting of eyes that have been downcast. The restoration of hope to the hopeless people. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, come. Come by your Spirit and put the tools in our hands, put the instruments of peace in our mouths so that we may see your kingdom come to these young people. Every one of them precious to you, Lord. Every one of them already included in your purpose, but we don't want them to take detours. We want them to get back on track We want them to enjoy you for who you are. We want them to find their own path, their own way of responding to you. We want them, in fact, like it says in Zechariah, to be the little children that lead Israel into its full destiny. Thank you, Lord. Let your presence come. Soak every one of us, saturate every one of us Lord with your love with your compassion with your words with your grace yes thank you Lord
1: thank you Lord
0: thank you Father Amen Amen. and one more word and then we'll dismiss in a moment
1: Costa, you gave reference to the priest, and he was clothed for that particular occasion, and he had the stones. And I had a picture of him, and the stones were alternately flashing, if you know what I mean. But it was a physical appearance that people could see at the priest. They could see the stones flashing and the Lord just spoke to me about the list you gave God speaking to the church, the family and all that and the word that came to my spirit is that um, a spirit of revelation in and through the Holy Spirit and I sense many of us including myself sometimes you want to see something physical just to know that God's there and it's something I think we crave for but I just sense God is saying that ask for a spirit of revelation through his Holy Spirit and he will reveal it to you.